Sometimes we make discussions of personal finance way more complicated than they need to be. And your co-hosts fully recognize we're among the biggest offenders. So in this episode, we wanted to try to back away from the technical talk and get things down to a few simple but time-tested principles that everyone can follow to have a healthier and happier relationship with money. Some of the principles we'll share today have to do with your overarching way of looking at money, what it is, what it's for, and how to be the boss of money rather than letting it be the boss of you. Other of the principles we'll share are more just good, proven maxims that, if heated consistently, will put you in a better financial position than if you just blow them off. Still other principles have to do with the process of building a healthy financial life. So here we talk about when to start implementing various principles and which to do first, second, third, and so on. Now we recognize that we have listeners at various points on the spectrum of financial health. A few honestly feel like they're barely hanging on and others have a dependable income but are struggling to move beyond living paycheck to paycheck. Fortunately, most of our listeners have reached a place of financial stability and are running a consistent surplus, while others are in a position of genuine financial security after years of hard work and prudent spending, saving, and investing. And still others are reaping large surpluses now, available for bigger lifestyle, more speculative investments, greater giving, or what have you. But wherever you are on this spectrum, we believe many of the principles you'll hear today will be relevant and thought-provoking. So stay tuned as we discuss all this and more right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, today, uh, as usual, with Adrian Nicholson and Eric Olson. I'm really excited about today's uh, episode. We're going to be talking to you. We've actually limited ourselves, each of us, to try to come up with just three tips. If we could only give three tips, what would those three things be? We have not shared with each other what those tips are. So there's very much, there could very much be overlap, and this episode might just be three tips in total, although uh, we have given each other the assignment (laughs) of you come up with your three and then let's share them together in this podcast. So I think this might be one of our best ones. Let's see if I agree with that at the end. Just because I think if we all three agree on the same things, they must be really important. Uh, And if we came up with nine, three separate things each, I think we'll have very important items as well. Uh, Before we get started, Eric, how are you doing? You look uh, handsome in the with the new camera you've got. Oh man, I just I was so uh, envious of you, Roshan, and how how sharp your cameras have always making you look on our YouTube channel. That I thought it's time for me to get an upgrade. But what I didn't do is I didn't go the extra mile with it, which Adrian did, which was to get the absolute GQ yes. look today. Yes. It's amazing. Thanks, Eric. Uh, I appreciate it. It's funny because um, 
uh, I got this same haircut um, like like a year and like a couple months ago. And then that was like right before quarantine started. So I was like a little frustrated. I'm like, of course, I get like one of my best, most favorite haircuts <laughs> I like. And now I can't go out. I can't go anywhere. So I always told myself like once I'm starting to like go out more, or like I'm back in the office, I'll get the same one again. So this is it. So I'm happy Perfect. I went back to it. Yeah, I like it. I like both. And I, and I feel <laughs> underdressed. I, I had a jacket and we're both my kids are going to camp. So I'm, I'm driving them in different directions before I come to the office this week. So I left my jacket on the uh, table right before I left. So a little underdressed today. It's all good. What kind of camp are they doing, Roshan? So my daughter, Ava, is doing ballet princess camp, which she loves. First exposure to ballet, and she loves it so far. And my son, Dylan, is doing uh, basketball camp. That's exciting. And they've got a bunch of other <laughs> ones. Uh, Dylan's going to go to writing camp and uh, acting camp next. And Ava's going to go to soccer camp and whatever else we can book because we haven't booked it yet. <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, I'm biased, though, but basketball camp, I used to, that was one of like my first ever jobs, just like coaching a, a basketball camp. Uh, it was uh, it was it was great memories, like all like the JV and varsity players would kind of like pick their own teams. And then we like, you know, train them, practice them. And then we have like a, like a tournament and everything. And that's where I kind of really fell fell in love with kind of like coaching wh whatever it may be um whatever i can just like coach or just teach people whatever sports it, it is I, I i that's when i really kind of found my uh my passion for just kind of just bestowing some of my knowledge on it and just trying to i always said i my job is to put you in the best possible position to succeed nice that's great i need to bring uncle adrian over to teach dylan and uh I wouldn't mind learning a little bit myself either. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be happy to help in uh, any way I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that would be great. So, Adrian, why don't you start us off today? Tell us. Let, let's start with the uh, first one that comes to mind. Well, actually, let me ask you before you start. Are they in order for you or are these in no particular order for both of you? Uh, no particular order. How about you, Eric? Oh, I'd say my, my ideas build one on the next. So, yeah, I think there's an order. And I have one that I, I believe is uh, uh, in an order of importance, but you'll actually find that they kind of uh, interlock with one another. So, Adrian, why don't you start us off in no particular order? What's the first one you came up with? Okay, yeah. Um, I'll, I guess I'll give a little bit of uh, background, kind of a little bit of uh, story time. Um, I was entering uh, my sophomore year of college. So that previous summer, I had like my first kind of summer job, just, you know, trying to build up as much money as possible. Cause like when you go to campus, you just want to, you know, be, be sad and just being able to like enjoy yourself and have that kind of emergency fund if you ever need it. So, uh, so I was working that summer, just building up a lot of money. And then, um, August came around and I, I drove to campus getting ready for my sophomore year, super excited. I was always going to see like all like my old buddies and stuff, but my, my tank was on E. So I had to go fill up my, um, my tank. And then it was like, it was like 40 bucks. And I also wasn't taking as many shifts as I had over the summer. So I immediately knew in the back of my mind, all right, I'm going to have to monitor, which is my first personal finance, financial tip, monitor my cash inflows and outflows. That's when I kind of got my, my first lesson because again, that previous summer I was working like five to six shifts a week, just constantly just like saving up. But now that I'm going to school, I was like, all right, I'm going to have to pick at least one or two up just so my, my, I'm not eating into my savings constantly because I was, I was really involved on campus, like doing intramural sports, 
um, semi-formals, formals, which are just like events where you have a date, you go to like a venue, you, you meet all your friends, take pictures, you, you get your date like flowers and stuff. So I had all these events coming up. So I knew that if, if I just kept spending a lot, just going out, then that would kind of take away from like other stuff I could do. So I immediately knew, like right when I like got into like my dorm, just I went on Excel spreadsheets and just kind of ballpark, how much money am I going to be spending every month? How much money am I going to get just working a couple shifts here and there? So I was, I was just really kind of consolidating it and really monitoring it. And my whole sophomore year, I didn't really have any financial issues. I was able to um, not adjust any of my spending, just was able to monitor it and was able to make it to the end of the year. So that was kind of like my first kind of big tip to really monitor whatever, whatever stage you're at in your life. Just monitor the money that's coming in and the money that's coming out, I think is a really important thing. Can't argue with that one. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really good one. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to give my number one because I think that lines up with yours. So yours with monitoring uh, is to know what you're spending, what's coming in, what's going out. Mine, I think, is just actually a step after yours, but it's kind of saying the same thing. At mine is save approximately twenty percent of what you earn. While I was thinking about this, I had another one that I made a subcategory of this, which is just to live below your means, right? If you're living below your means, you're able to save the 20%. So that that's kind of, uh, that's why I didn't use them as two separate tips, but I ended up making one a subcategory. So the way, the way I picture, Adrian, what you said is you've got to know what's coming in and going out in order to save that 20%. Uh, and I imagine that monitoring what's going in and going out is so that you can live at the very least within, if not below your means. So I, I would say these are kind of two separate tips, but at the beginning, I warned the listeners that we may have uh, the same thing. I think these these go very much hand in hand. And I'll tell you the reason I, I put this as the number one tip, I've been asked before at um, things where I was speaking. When I first started, uh, I would do a lot of um, speaking at Bit at company. So I'd go in at lunchtime, we would do lunch and learns, and there would be a variety of ages, you know, people who had just started working to people who are about to retire that would attend that, you know, that would be in the audience. And I would frequently get the question of if you could give just one tip, what would it be? And I say, if you save 20%, everything else will likely work itself out um, uh, in the long run. And then I think about my clients that are financially successful. And I define that as, you know, being able to live, um, um, being able to stop working and live within your means, being financially independent and living the lifestyle you'd want to live. And I do have a few that got there because they just made a ton of money. But the majority of my clients that got there, got there through saving uh, and ha- and managing their spending or monitoring their spending, Adrian, as you said. So my tip would be save 20% of what you earn with a lot of subtext <laughs> underneath. Yeah, and I think it'd just be important to mention kind of going back a little bit. I didn't really boil it down to a T. I wasn't really tracking every penny. Like I said, I was kind of getting ballpark estimates. There were some months where I'm like, wow, I, I did spend a lot more. And then there were some months where I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of ahead schedule and I kept kind of like fine-tuning and adjusting it along the way kind of going back to that spreadsheet I had which really helped so just kind of starting that kind of framework and like going back and adjusting it and kind of seeing where you're at can really help you boil down to the the end result 
Well, guys, that is a, just the, what you both just now have said. There's a gold mine of material in there. And those, um, th- those overlap with some of the principles that I was going to articulate today. So I just can, I want to reinforce a few things you just said, draw out a couple principles as well. So number one, Adrian, you developed a plan. You, you, had a, you had a plan as opposed to just having a principle. You had a plan. And uh, that plan, the principle was spend less than you earn. In Roshan's case, it was, and and specifically with the with the margin there, save it, make that so that you're saving at least twenty percent. But in then addition, you had a budget, and so you followed a budget, and so you were watching. Now you just admitted you weren't necessarily so scrupulous and rigid that you tracked every penny, but at least you had a framework. And that you had a guide. I think that also is really an am- amazing principle. So kudos to you for yeah. jumping on that in at college. such an early stage, man. I mean, if you can figure that out in college, yeah, golly. I appreciate it. I mean, it was, it was a time <laughs> where, you know, I'm kind of on my own. So it was kind of like my first area into, you know, personal finance, just making sure that I was, you know, doing my best just to stay on track and just kind of learning these things along the way. It definitely paid dividends for me, Adrian. I got to ask. Uh, I got to ask just further. Uh, most college kids run out of money and call mom and dad, right? You obviously weren't going to do that. Was that something that you had been taught growing up? That you know, in either in a in a positive way, in the sense of we know you can handle it on your own, go handle it, or in a negative way, like Adrian, don't come home asking me for money. Like, what, what was that? What was that? Why weren't you the typical college kid that's, that was going to reach home to ask for more money? I think it's because I kind of, I had like a system in play. I think that that really helped me. Like, again, I, it's not like after my summer job, I'm like, oh, I, I quit. I'm going to go off to school and everything. I kind of left the door open saying, hey, I might need to pick up like a, a few like hours here and there. So I kind of had that. And I was like saving like crazy over. It was like my first real summer job. So that's like the first time I really saw like my savings going up. And like I kind of knew I kind of had that like experiment, the experiment freshman year where I kind of knew what my expenses were going to be like going the year. So I would say going in that year, I was just I was just very well prepared. And like I said, like before I even got on campus, I had to fill up my tank and that was like 40 bucks. So I immediately knew, all right, this is something that I need to boil down to a T right now, or else I'll be in that situation where I'm looking for, for help or assistance from other people. So it was just good timing. And like I said, just good planning on my part and just um, kind of want this, this will be like my bonus tip, just getting started yesterday. You, you know, there's no better time getting started than as soon as possible. Yeah. And actually, I want to add one thing on before we move on, then Eric, I'm going to ask you your tip. But uh, uh, when Adrian, when you talk about, um, tracking your expenses. And when I talk about saving 20%, there's another common, very common statement made, which is pay yourself first. So I just want to make that clear. When I say 20%, it's in line with that thinking of the first bill you pay when you're paying your bills is that 20% to savings. And if you've got to dip into it at some point later on this month, you're not saving 20%. It's got to be, it's got to be continuing to build that, that savings. Um, Eric, now I want to go over what, what's the, and you said you do have it in order. So what's the number one on your list? Well, I'm going to take it out of order because it just dovetails so nicely with what each of you just said. Uh, so I, I would say it helps to have a framework. 
a framework for your thinking about what you do. So since we've just been talking about budgeting and allocation and so forth, let me talk about a framework. And this this framework comes from a training that I've had with um, this group of advisors I've mentioned before called Kingdom Advisors. So basically, think about there's essentially five uses of money, or and I'm going to actually call them four, reduce them to four so they're a little bit more memorable. So, and this, this fits right in with the budgeting conversation and all the things that we've said so far. So number one, uh, the, the framework is live, give, owe, grow. Live, give, owe, grow. And so you, you ha- spend money on your living expenses, and that can be you know, everything from putting food on the table to taking a vacation to uh, purchasing a car or whatever the case might be. Then there's giving, and different people have different perspectives on that. Some give very little. Some give huge, a huge share of their, of their income. Then there's owing. And in this case, you owe two forms in, in two ways. You owe on debt because you pre-committed uh, to certain spending because you borrowed to, to purchase things ahead of having the savings to do them. But you also owe taxes. And then finally, in terms of growing, you have that margin. In your case, Roshan, you had said that 20% that you allocate towards savings. So everyone, if you think about your spending, and and actually it might help you to take a spreadsheet or take a sheet of paper or something like this and catalog all the different kinds of spending that you do or flows that are flowing out from you and see where they fit in each of those things. Living giving, owing, both taxes and debt, and then, and then growing and see if you're in balance. So you might look at that pie chart and say, hey, we're doing great. I, we're, we're not uh, loading up on debt. We're not sort of mortgaging our future. Instead, we're saving for those future goals, etc. And so we have that much more capacity for saving or for living or for giving. Or it might be you look at the taxes that you're paying and you probably need to sit down with somebody that can help you navigate whether or not there's a way to to pay fewer. But at the same time, if you're paying taxes, that's a that's a good sign, right? Because it means you're you're earning something. So that's it's a signal of of good provision on that side. So within those, then each of those has a certain role to play, I would say. And on the living side, you already said it, guys, is living in, within your means is one way of expressing it or uh, spending less than you earn. On the giving side, I would say it, uh, that since, in my perspective at least, if you don't have a perspective on money and its role in, in, that it can play, not just in, in a functional sense, but also from a heart sense, then you probably haven't thought quite enough about money because having a clear perspective on what money is will will help just guide so many of your subsequent decisions. I think giving in particular plays the role of breaking the hold of money on you. And I could say more about the rest, but I think that, anyway, I just thought that that whole framework, live, go, live, give, oh, grow, serves as a useful way of sort of structuring your thinking about your about your how you're allocating money, your budget, uh, you're living with a margin, et cetera. I mean, I, I love that. I feel like you snuck in four. <laughs> 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 no, 
No, but I, I do like the concept. It, uh, the uses of money, live, give, owe, and grow. I, that, that's great. It, it reminded me once um, I, when I've, it was my, I think it was my first or second year in the business, and I was, uh, uh, it had to be my second or third year. I was a manager, and I had an advisor come to me, and he had a client that uh, was breaking even every month. They were currently saving towards retirement. They were just short. And he said, well, if I tell them to stop giving money to their church, they'll have enough to uh, to save for their retirement. And, and Eric, you and I are laughing because I, 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 don't, I remember speaking to him for like an hour saying, you can be honest and tell them that, but I don't think, I think you need to look for alternative solutions to present when you go to that meeting, because I don't think they're going to say yes, yes to you at the end, at the end of the day. And he just was, uh, he was an engineer. So very logical, right. As opposed to emotional thinking, he was like, but this makes so much sense. It's so easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I like that, uh, live, give, owe, and, and grow. And, um, and, uh, as we keep saying, things aren't necessarily in any particular order. I don't think that is, that is either right. It's based on the individual. Mm-hmm. That's right. Excellent. Uh, either of you want to go on to your next one or should I jump in with mine? Um, I can go on my next one if that's cool. Yes, go ahead, Adrian. Okay, perfect. Um, I'll give a little bit more background on this, but again, this next tip, it's, uh, it's uh, creating short-term and long-term goals, I think is really important. I'll kind of give more background how this kind of tailors into personal finance. So um, exiting my sophomore year, kind of like a big thing is, um, or like a common thing would be you live, you live on campus freshman and sophomore year, and then junior year, you, you move off campus. And that's kind of, uh, that was kind of like my short term goal, my soft, my ending my sophomore year, just, you know, move, move off campus, kind of experience what it's like, you know, have bills, like have your own room, have like kind of your own home, even though I had, um, other roommates kind of just getting, getting used to that, like kind of living on your own aspect and just building up like my cash reserve, kind of just taking that big step into adulthood where I'm like really like on my own and just developing a routine, just kind of like sticking to it. So that was kind of like my, my short-term goal. And then my long-term goal was um, before college ended, I wanted to take like a really nice vacation because, you know, you're spending so many hours in the library, you're spending so many, so much time like going to classes, taking tests, like networking, meeting people, and just, and you know, you want to, you want to at least have one, if not like multiple memories where you do something kind of spontaneous, something out of there. So my, my long-term goal was just to take a vacation. I was planning to do it outside the country, but I still never have left, left the country yet. If uh, people don't count Puerto Rico, cause that's a U.S. territory. So, um, luckily though, um, I completed my short-term goal where I did move off campus. I was starting to pay bills. I was starting to build up my cash reserve. And I just kept knocking that out. And it, it kind of, I guess the kind of like thing that I want to kind of, the theme that I want people to get is I was knocking out these short-term goals of really living on my own. And that kind of motivated me more to achieve that long-term goal where, you know what, I'm kind of getting in a stable position where I can probably take that long vacation and kind of mot- motivating me more where I'm knocking out these short-term goals. I can finally take care of this long-term goal. And then that's when me and some of my friends, we went to uh, St. Thomas and it was one of the best memories I ever had. So the kind of the theme of just creating short term and long term goals where it's some people like get wrapped up in, oh, I have all these goals in the future. It's like long term goals. I want to do this, this and that, where there's pieces that you can do along the way that can help 
uh, get you to that position or help motivate you or help push you where you're knocking off things on your checklist that can kind of lead you into that position. So kind of creating short-term and long-term like personal financial goals are, are a good step to kind of creating that kind of like backbone and, and, that, and that structure that could really pay, pay off in the future. I like that one, Adrian. First, I'd like to say you went to a U.S. Virgin Island, so you still haven't left the country. With yeah, I still, I still haven't <laughs> left the country, but I, it was kind of tropical enough where I'm like, you know what, this will count in my book. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to. I haven't been there, so I, I want to go. I just, uh, I just thought I'd mention that. But I really like what you what you said. There's something you didn't say that you did also that I think is equally as important. You said create short and long-term goals. And then you had said you could see yourself knocking them out, which meant you were tracking it, right? Creating short and long-term goals that, um, that uh, are uh, measurable and that you can track, which is what you were doing. You didn't mention it, but I thought it was important because um, uh, whenever um, I would go to do these speaking things, I still mention this when I do dinner is just how um, people will have New Year's resolutions. And I think the number is 70% of people give up in the first month, right? And then when you actually ask what the resolution is, it's usually something broad in general that you that they don't or can't track. Like the, the one I use is get in shape, right? You can't, how do you define get in, get in shape? Or the old, the old joke could be uh, the shape you were going for was round, right? So <laughs> either of those, like get in shape is just not good enough. You need to define how much you can lift, how fast you can run, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. And it sounds like you... You did that. So I, I really like that short and long term goals. And uh, I added the, uh, the fact that you were tracking it as well. Uh, Eric, how about how about you? Anything to add or, or share with uh, what Adrian just went over? Well, I just love, Adrian, that you are drawing lessons from your own experiences. I love the autobiographical character of, of your learning. It's it's great. I should have given more reflection on some of these things. Well, and you uh, it's also great that you learn these things on your own it sounds like you were very much self-taught was anyone was anyone in your ear helping you or is this something you read in a book did you just figure it out by yourself how did you uh figure this out i think we may have lost adrian so i will ask him that question when he comes back and um i will go on to my next tip unless uh eric you've got you've got one you want to share mine once again it, it I felt like there's overlap on mine, but my next one is just avoid credit card debt. And my um, uh, category below that is oftentimes this debt is driven by um, keeping up with the Joneses. So the the avoid debt, if you're saving 20%, you're avoiding debt, which is why mine has an order, right? I said, do if you do this first, if you're saving the 20%, you probably aren't, aren't you know, going into debt. But avoiding credit card debt, I just did a quick Google search and it said that if you, there's an old article, it's from 2016, but it says if you had $2,000 in debt and you're at an 18% interest rate, if you pay the minimum, um, it'll take you 30 years to pay it off, right? So uh, the thing with avoiding debt is not only does it, does it, um, does it, hurt you with that additional bill, it stops you from saving and building that additional savings. So it has multiple multiple impacts. And I heard um, uh, someone who was, uh, I wish I could remember who it was or the exact quote, but it was something to the, to the effect of, do you really want to pay $20 for that $3 cup of Starbucks coffee? 
because you're putting on a card and then paying minimums over time. Wow. That, when you put it that way. Yeah, it's crazy. Anything to add or any thoughts on that? If not, feel free to jump in with your next one, Eric. Well, so my next one actually, Roshan, does build on what you just said in a way. It is... It comes back, which would have been my first point if you hadn't created such a great opportunity, both of you, to respond uh, with your first point. But it is to have a, a to be very clear about what it is that you believe about money and what it is that you believe about your relationship with money. Because if you have that, um, you're less likely to just succumb to certain patterns that are. Uh, or at least patterns that you observe around you and and not have a principled basis for doing those things. So for example, you let's say that you are um, an Epicurean. And so you think about the, the, the purpose of life is pleasure. So then in, in all likelihood, you're going to say, I'm going to allocate as, as a large share of my resources towards experiences and, and toward pleasures and comforts and probably that's going to take priority over some of those other categories in the live, give, oh, grow category uh, categories or framework that I talked about. On the other hand, if you look at if you look at perhaps money as a form of security, and so you look at it as it, you feel deeply insecure and in, uncontented if you don't have a massive amount of of wealth to serve as a buffer against the uncertainties of life then you're probably going to press ahead into the, into, the, uh, into the growing part by saving, 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 saving. And by the way, I'm a big believer in saving, but I also recognize that it's conceivable that you could go too far in that direction as well. So I, I would also say from a, a lot of my clients are faith-based, and we've talked about some of that before. In this case, if you're thinking is was well, what money isn't really this isn't well. Let me put it differently. Money itself can become. I'm not saying it always is, but can become such an object of a person's desire that it becomes actually an object of worship. And what does that do to your heart if you're if it has become that for you? Um, so in, in a sense, do you make good decisions in, in, with respect to money, if it has taken on that sort of, that sort of preeminent position in, in the things that you value? So I think part of the secret to contentment in life, as opposed to discontentedness and fear and worry and uncertainty about money is if you can say it isn't the ultimate source of happiness. Does money contribute to happiness? Yes. Poverty is not a happy state. We want people to flourish and prosper, <laughs> believe me. But it can also be such, such something where beyond the point of flourishing and prospering, it can, become, it can become distorting as well. So having a perspective on money, I think, sets, sets you, makes it easier for you to make long-term decisions within your planning framework about what you want to do and what you want to accomplish and takes enormous amounts of stress out of that planning process. Yeah, that's a great one, Eric. And it, it reminds me of the, the podcast that we recorded, the financial finish lines, kind of just giving a, a quick kind of piece in that episode as we discuss how important it is to, have to set some financial finish lines in, in your life, where if you're kind of always in this continuous, you know, save, 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 invest, 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 
and you don't have those kind of like goals in mind or those certain like milestones in life, you could probably be spending a good chunk of your, your, your life or your retirement um, not really like enjoying or reflecting on some of the accomplishments that you made or what's kind of the next step after I hit like my first million dollars. Well, what, what happens after that moment? What, what are some other areas in my life that I kind of want to maybe go back to or, or focus on a little bit more because I've just been in this, this kind of constant, you know, save, invest, grow, kind of having those certain um, like milestones and areas where you can kind of check in and just see where you're at or can be very can, can really help you take that inward and outlook, outward look that can be sometimes very beneficial for people. Yeah, I had a professor in grad school who said something one time that was just one of the wisest things I think I ever heard someone say, which was there's nothing so practical as a really good theory because it guides your, all of your subsequent thinking about what, what to do next. So um, from that standpoint, can you kind of explain that? I, I was kind of confused. It sounds like a really good quote. It looks like Roshan got it, but that went. I'm going to be honest. That went over. That went over my. Well, head. some people think, oh, that's just theory. And his point was, is well, yeah, but if you have a great theory, then it has all sorts of very clear practical ramifications. And so, if you're trying to if you're trying to solve a practical problem, start with a good theory about how to approach that problem. Uh, and so I think the same thing is true here in this. If you have a theory of money, it's not merely sort of entertaining yourself with with ir- useless, un- impractical uh, reflections. Instead, its purpose is to have a practical framework or pers- set of perspectives that can drive your thinking. So, for example, let's say I think a useful perspective, at least faith-driven people, I think particularly would say, I don't really own this money. I'm a steward of this money, so it's it's not mine to it's not mine to spend strictly on you know this or that. Instead, I have to ask, well, if it's if I'm a steward of this money, then what's the the, the actual owner of this money? What's their purpose with this money? And so, I'm not saying that's the, every listener here has that sort of same perspective, but it's it, it's an illustration of having a prince a principle or a perspective. Or a theory that can then guide what you decide to do with the money that's um, under your control. Yeah, I, and I, I want to go back to what really both of you touched on and just share a story. Uh, would Adrian, you had mentioned people just sort of constantly saving and um, uh, and focused on that, but not you know, sort of taking a break to enjoy some of it. Like, what's going to happen? I have a one of the things I love about our work is I work with a lot of people that are older than me and wiser than me. So I get to learn from them. I have a client who uh, whose husband passed away about a year after they retired. They got to take one really nice vacation together. And she has told me multiple times. um, Well, she's complaining to me about RMDs, right? She's saying that I've got to take out all this money, but it was money for two. And now there's only one. So I'm paying taxes as a single, so I'm paying higher in taxes. But what, what she said is she wished they had taken more vacations together. Right? That was their plan. They didn't know he, he, got, he um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, passed away completely une- unexpected, uh, so you couldn't plan for it. But she says she just wished they had taken more trips and enjoyed it a little bit more along the way. They've created uh, a lot of wealth. She now, uh, one of her most favorite activities now is donating that. 
So she actually donates a lot, and that's what she enjoys with spending her money. I very often will have conversations with her about spending more because she's created what um, Warren Buffett called the snowball, which is what he was titled one of his autobiography, uh, his autobiography, which is uh, or biography. I don't think he wrote it. I think he just joined in. But um, the snowball where you've got enough that your money's growing at a faster rate than you're spending it. And so she's she that's continuing to be the case for her. But how this once again goes back and relates to what you said is, as I actually think this is one of the most difficult things um, when you're planning financially is what should I spend now versus what should I save? And you both mentioned multiple times uh, having a plan and creating this. And I think that had they had a plan versus just saving earlier, they would have then taken those vacations, right? Because they were, the wealth they've created is more than two or three times what they would need for their retirement. They just never knew that. And they're, they're um, uh, essentially depression era babies. So they've always been focused on save, 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 save. So to uh, our listeners, this is not one of my tips. I'm just jumping on Eric and Adrian's tip. Uh, but uh, we are planners, but the value of having a plan, I, I, I say that to everyone. We, I just met with someone brand new who said, we didn't ever think we had enough money for a plan. And my response was, I believe everyone needs a plan because it's, a, it's about living optimally with what you have. So the less you have, the more important I think the plan is. So you may not think you have enough money for the plan. I would flip that logic over and say, well, if you have tons and tons of money, you may be able to survive without a plan because you can do everything. But if you don't have tons and tons of money, each dollar is that much more valuable to you, which makes the planning that much more important. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, Roshan, I'm glad I'm not the only one who abused the opportunity to have more than three points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I snuck it in under both of yours. <laughs> no, but great points. Uh, well, who, and I, I'm looking at, at the list. I could, uh, Adrian, why don't you go, go on to your, your, uh, last point that you have. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Roshan. Uh, my last one is kind of, uh, kind of one that I'm trying to fine tune and I'm kind of coming up with on my own. I, I really don't know the best way to describe it, but I'll just kind of jump right into it. Just see how technology can play a role in your finance. I think that's just really important. Like, just there, there are a whole bunch of resources out there. Technology is always advancing where you kind of can incorporate it a little bit more into your lifestyle to make it a little bit easier, whether it's tracking your finances, whether it's sending money, whatever it may be, just trying to stay up to date on, on the, the things that can help you most when it comes to your finances. Because for some people, it can get a little out of hand and it, this could be the thing that can help them be a little bit more organized. There's a bunch of resources out there. The, the internet is kind of infinite and never ending where there's a whole bunch of resources you can look into, um, podcasts, videos, whatever it may be to kind of help you learn more and help you create more strategies. And it's just, be, it's just growing more and more every day. So kind of seeing or just kind of you might, you might have a set plan or you might be doing things a certain way, but try and see the ways that technology can kind of help you um, make make your life a little bit more easier when it comes to um, to, to your finances because it can be a very complicated area. And Adrian, when you say technology, are you are you um, uh, referring to resources that you can learn from, or are you referring to 
using more technological tools to, to like better budgeting software? What are, when you say technology in general, what are you thinking of? Uh, kind of both. Like an example would just be just like now that we have apps, you can just check your balance, whatever it may be. Some, some apps are good enough where they can track your spending and put it in certain categories. So you might not know what your expenses are, but if, if you just download like a certain app, it, it would be able to track it for you. That could just be a, 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 go, a good starting place. Just knowing that, that there's a lot of tools and resources out there that are constantly growing, becoming more advanced can can really help people when they're just getting started in this or just trying to figure out how to track it. I like that one. I definitely did not think of think of that one. Um, I'd mentioned we definitely we would have overlap. I think that's a great one that I didn't think of at all. Is just maximizing um, the technology that's available now. It's the advantage to having three different age groups on this. I, I like that one a lot. That, that's one I need to uh, incorporate myself. I definitely have the apps, but I'd say I probably there's room to use more of the technology available. Yeah, exactly. And then, like I said, also just there's so much like resources out there, free material that you can just just use to help you learn. And if you're if you're really interested, or you want to take a deep dive. It, it can be never never ending. So just kind of if you're if you're getting started out, just kind of go to re- different resources or or talk to a third party or get somebody's input is also another another route you can take as well. Whatever whatever helps you kind of get started and put a, a plan in place is always helpful. Yeah. And I just want to dovetail on that too. I mean, because that same financial technology or what we call FinTech has made its way into the advisor space as well. And so I know, for example, one of the various financial planning software tools that we use um, gives the client the choice of not only linking to have their, their asset and liability accounts uh, constantly updated within the financial planning software, but it will also allow their spending to be monitored by the, the software. Now, it, it by the way, it doesn't give the advisor full visibility into that, but it does allow the client to have full visibility into that. And so that they can go through and then categorize their expenses within the financial planning software itself so that the plan that's developed by that software is extremely reality-based in other words, it's uh, it's not making fanciful assumptions about spending a lot less than is actually being spent. And so as a result, you have the, a much greater precision in the financial planning projections that you're doing. So, But you can certainly do that on your own, and there are, there are many such tools for that. You know, I'm not, we're not here to endorse one or an- another, but I have just such an app on my phone, which tracks every you know penny that's going out the door except for cash, and I try to make sure that I put cash in there as well, as well as everything that's flowing in so that, so that we're not again, working from sort of rough approximations. We can really get precise about seeing where the money is going. And so anyway, great suggestion, Adrian about technology. Yeah. I like it as well. I need to do this. I'm, I still use a spreadsheet, so uh, I should get all this. (laughs) It would save me time if I had the, uh, software versus uh this because they'll pull it all and put it in a spreadsheet for me right so so yeah i i need to uh adrian i i will uh have you over to teach both basketball and fintech <laughs> <laughs> i better i clear out my schedule but uh, i'm willing to help any way i can i guess thank you and i will go on to my um my next uh tip which is um it's invest from day one, learn to invest 
early. You know, so and what I, the reason I put it that way now is because especially with it actually works well with your uh, fintech thing with the financial uh, uh, technology available now, you can literally buy a fraction of a share of stock for a dollar now. Right. They won't even charge you a, a transaction fee. So I think there really isn't an excuse to start early. And when you start early, we've talked about our investing philosophies, how we've gotten there in, in uh, previous episodes. But um, I believe you've got to learn what type of investing suits you, and that takes time. And unfortunately, there will be mistakes made along the way. And the sooner you can make that mistake and move on, the quicker you'll be able to find what works for you investment-wise. And the sooner you figure that out, you can take advantage of uh, compounding, and it will be worth a lot more money later. So hopefully you learn those lessons with small dollars early versus with big dollars later. So uh, here's uh, here's maybe that uh, my my next point dovetails with that, but I sort of have a slight bit, uh, I guess, a question if you wouldn't want to qualify that at all. So because I think of people as in a spectrum of of financial situation. So you have some people who are just really struggling. And they're barely making it. Then you have people who I'd say are surviving, living paycheck to paycheck. Then I think after a point, you reach a point where you actually have some stability and some positive cash flow. So at what point, and and it goes up from there. So at what point in there would you introduce investing? Well, so uh, the the way I look at it from the financial planner's perspective is you've got to make sure you have an, you're an adequate amount of cash reserves built, and mm-hmm. then you go into mm-hmm. the investing. Okay, yeah, uh, I think we're in agreement it. then. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but when I say in one that first tip I had of saving of saving twenty percent, uh, I imagine that twenty percent is going to things like a four hundred one k plan as well at the beginning, and you're investing there, uh, but it. A lot of people will uh, will just set their 401k up however uh, the form is filled out or they'll look at things and fill it out and then they'll never look at it again for decades, right? I'm sure we, we've all encountered clients like that that said they set it up uh, years ago and just never looked at it. And, um, and so that's part of what I, I'm addressing with, with the investing is, is you know, participate in that savings uh, and that 401k plan, not just by putting your money there, but also by monitoring it and selecting your investments. But I am also talking about investing outside of, of there in, um, uh, in, in whatever makes sense for you, whether it's stocks, ETFs, uh, bonds, mutual funds, whatever it is to help build that methodology that works for you. And if you don't have one or don't have an interest in setting one up, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why our industry exists, right? Because then they come to, they could work with someone like us and then they uh, can piggyback on our experience and knowledge. So um, going back to, to what was said earlier with having a plan, uh, Adrian, I, I believe that was um, one, of, one of yours uh, to, to just have um, creating the short and long-term goals. If you decide early that investing is not something you're interested in or not right for you, find someone early to, to, to play that role for you. So mine, once again, is invest, invest early. And one other sneaking, one other uh, tip in there that I love, I believe this is a Benjamin Graham quote, 
but price is what you pay and value is what you get. So if you're investing early and your reason for investing is because it because it's going up, that's probably not a good enough reason. That that that's one of those lessons that might hurt you later. So now that I've snuck one in, Eric, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to you. Well, what's the last one you've got? All right. So I've talked about a fr having a framework for your thinking, live, give, oh, grow. I've talked about having a perspective and having a good philosophy or theory, I guess, about money. But now I want to be very, very practical because we have a lot of listeners. And as I just identified, there's a lot of different financial conditions. And I said, surviving, struggling, uh, you know, struggling, surviving, secure, I would say then there's also, or a stable, there's also secure, and then there's surplus. So we have, you know, running up the full gamut of different uh, kinds of conditions. But where should you begin if you are at the struggling stage and, or, and you're moving up that continuum? So you've, you've, each of you have talked about this to a certain extent. I would say the number one thing you should do is get out of credit card debt before you before you do anything else because especially if you as roshan you pointed out you're paying what was it 18 percent or 25 percent, and people do that and it just doesn't even occur to them that's the the return on your quote-unquote investment in paying off that that debt is a is one of the best returns on investment that you'll ever receive a guaranteed 18 percent or a guaranteed 25 percent return by not having that interest burden any longer is a fantastic return. So you're extremely smart if you if you attack that debt and get past that stage. Next, get so that you do have a, a cash reserve, three to six months of committed living expenses set aside in the event of unemployment or a pandemic or you get hit by a beer truck and you can't work for a while or whatever the case might be. Um, have a cash reserve. And then next, start saving for those things that you know are, are you're going to be spending money on. You know you're probably going to be driving. You know you're probably going to want to own a home. You know you're not going to sleep on the carpet or the floor. You're going to probably have some furniture. So start saving for those sorts of things so that you don't have to, again, put them on a credit card instead you're or, or to borrow a, as much. Now, a home, you know, I understand that. It's a little tough to save enough to buy a home um, right out of the gate. So I think that's a little different, but in terms of cars or furniture or clothes or vacations or all that sort of stuff, you, if you know you're gonna do them, save for them. And then once you've done that, start thinking in terms of longer term, retirement, college, uh, lifestyle changes, financial independence, the things of that nature that we've talked about. And then once you have a genuine surplus and you're well on your way to saving for those sorts of things, then you can start taking, especially if he has more experience, more active risk taking. So in that, in that sense, you know, hedge funds, new businesses, um, uh, real estate, venture capital, other sorts of things like that and giving like crazy, but you know, start, I would start, start at the beginning and get out of debt and kind of work up that way as opposed to just having, where am I supposed to start? This gives you a very clear sequence, follow a sequence of that kind. And I think you'll be a lot better off. Yeah, I like that, Eric. I used to tell people, um, uh, and I used to call it the debt cycle. What typically happens to someone is they get their debt up to, let's just say, let's say $10,000. They pay it down, and they're not saving cash. So they're taking huge chunks down. It goes down to like 7000 and the car breaks down. 
so they have to put the car repair on it. So now they're up to 8,000. And now because they've used the credit card, they start using it again. Eventually it gets up to 10,000. They're like, oh my God, what do I do? And they continue that. I would call that the debt cycle. You're always in debt between 10 and 7,000. It's just a matter of where things are at that, at that point. And the way you break that debt cycle is by having cash. So that when that emergency comes up, you can write a check for the car repair. You don't slip and then start using those credit cards again. So you never get back up to 10. So building that cash reserve is very important to avoid the debt cycle. It's really the the only way when you're at that stage. Um, you just mentioned, Eric, of uh, going from sort of just surviving to now having some surplus. When you're going through that stage and you're getting getting out of debt, make sure you're simultaneously building your cash and paying off the debt to break that debt cycle. But I like I like those. I'm just going to go through our our tips. I am pretty surprised that we actually didn't have uh, overlap. So uh, the first one, Adrian said, have that uh, monitor your cash flows in and out. I had saved 20 percent. Eric said the uses of money, live, give, owe, and grow. Then Adrian mentioned creating short and long-term goals. I talked about avoiding credit card uh, debt. Uh, Eric said, be clear about what you believe, your belief and relationship, uh, uh, belief about money and your relationship. Adrian mentioned utilizing technology. I talked about investing early. Uh, and Eric, you talked about starting at the beginning and having this process to follow. So, I think all of ours are somewhat interconnected, but we actually came up with with uh, surprising. I'm surprised that they're all different. I I would have uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if we ended up with only three or four in total. Yeah, I'm happy with our uh, list, and I guess like kind of like a parting thought would be like there there are a lot of tips here, and I guess kind of like my biggest um, like recommendation is you know it, it might be a lot of tips, so trying to incorporating all these tips all at once might be difficult if you're just getting started out. But uh, like a big thing is maybe take one or two of these and just try and be consistent or create a habit. I think that's the biggest thing because if you have so many of them, you you might start off really strong with them the first month and then maybe one or two fall out. Kind of like what Roshan said about the New Year resolution, how it just drops off at a certain point. Whenever it comes to personal finance, just really try and be consistent or create a habit and just stick with it as long as you can until it's routine and you don't really have to think about it anymore. I think that's... Uh, that's one of the, the big things that really help uh, keep you committed and help these tips become actual, um, just become actual reality and just are consistent more is a, is a big thing. Just, you know, you don't have to be crazy obsessed with it, but just track it and just keep, keep at it and just take it one step at a time so it can just be implemented so you can see these changes being reflected. Another good tip, right? Don't, don't wait and try to get them all done. Pick one and get started. Get started. Right now, I like that. Any any uh, parting thoughts, Eric? Yeah, I would just say there are many of the things we've said here today are things that we we would encourage you to do on your own, and anyone should do. But if you're thinking you'd like help with this, this is what we do. So go to our you know our web page. Go to the show notes. You can find our contact information. We'd be delighted to have a conversation with you and reflect with you on all of these topics about where, what your outlook on life, what drives your contentment. We can take a look at your five uses of money and help you with, you know, every one of the different sorts of things 
that we've discussed today. We want you to succeed and we want you to prosper. We want you to be content. And uh, we, if we can be an aid in that journey to contentment, we'd, we'd be delighted and privileged to do that with you. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd mentioned um, uh, earlier with my investing one, getting, getting started early uh, in the investing game. And if you don't, um, if you don't have an interest or don't have the time, energy or anything there, there are people like us, we're here to, we're here to help. So you're not, you're not on your own with these things. So as Adrian said, don't feel like you have to do all of them at once. Or if you don't feel like you can do, you, you want to do these things, but don't know how to do it. Um, feel free to reach out, uh, email, you know, social media, any of our links, we're definitely there to help. Uh, This has been another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends, give uh, give us five stars, and we'll be back to you next week. Thank you for listening. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question, or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.